Hello, everyone, and welcome to Everyday Linux, episode number 70, The Punt, recorded October 14th, 2012, and brought to you by Element OP Productions, elementop.com. We had a show lined up for you this week, or so we thought we did. Three of the four people thought we did. The fourth one, not so much. So... What we have tonight is a half hour before the show, we kind of went, uh-oh, and so that's why it's called The Punt. But usually, when we do these shows, we uh, you know we start out with the Linux news, uh, or the tech news, it's really not Linux news. We start out with the, with the tech news, and um, we have 15 stories in there, and we spend an hour talking about four of them, and then we leave out the rest. So this week, you get all the news. Uh, that's what this show's going to be. All the news and insight. And with me here this week to deliver the news and the olds and maybe the Plymouth and possibly the station wagon uh, are my perennial co-hosts. <laughs> perennial. You're here every year. Um, my regular co-hosts, Mr. Chris Neves, the command line godfather. Hi, Christopher. Hello, hello. And Mr. Seth Anderson, back from his one-week hiatus, Mr. Seth Anderson. Oh, did I say Howdy Seth Anderson twice? Everyone. I think I said yes. Seth Anderson twice. I'm going to say the gooey kid, Seth Anderson. Thank you. It's always nice to be known. Yes. And known to be nice. <laughs> Something like that. I don't know why. My brain is a little fried today. So uh, maybe it's because everything I ate today was fried. Maybe there's some comparison there. We went to this, Could be. Went to this uh, seafood restaurant that I'd never been to, and it was really very good, but everything was fried. Everything. I was like, the oh. the menu was battered and deep fried and put on the table. Everything was fried, 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 fried. So now my brain is having a cholesterol embolism. I think. Man, that's <laughs> awesome. Except when you're trying to lose weight. <laughs> yeah. Well, and for me, with fish, is me and fish don't work at all. So that would have been just about you know send Chris to the hospital type type thing. Yeah. I had a really bad experience with fried fish, and ever since then, the smell of fish. Makes me want to, you know, go visit Mr. Urinal and Mr. Toilet and go. That's sad. Well, Mark, I took a group of people to Texas Day Brazil and did my best to carry on the carnivore night. Oh, good. Tradition. I'm looking to create a carnivore night tradition here in Atlanta. Uh, uh, I I ate copious quantities of carnivorous food, <laughs> so um, it was it was very very good. If you've never been anybody out there to a Brazilian steakhouse, or at least that's what they're called. Maybe in Brazil they like I don't know what we're talking about, um, but uh, uh, gauchos, cowboys um, uh, in wide pants bring you meat on a sword until you pop, and they just keep bringing you meat over and over again. It, at most of those places, there's a you have like a little uh, coaster, a card of some sort, green on one side, red on the other. You turn it on green, and dozens of men with swords come and say, "Here, enjoy this tasty meat." And then you put it on red, and they ignore you for a while. But it's it's literally like a millisecond between the time you flip that thing over, and there's a person standing beside you. It's like, have you seen Mister Deeds, the new the new version with um, uh, Adam Sandler? It's like the ad uh, the the butler. Betty Betty Sneaky, sir. He just pops in out of nowhere. So you flip that thing to green, and like three of those butlers come in. Meat, sir. Would you like? Would you like prime rib? Would you like? Would you like leg of lamb? And oh, 
It's well, I, I, I did it right place. this time because he said, the waiter said when we went to the table, if I can do anything for you, let me know. I said, actually, I love my food. Extremely well done, almost burnt. And he goes, say no more. And then I didn't even have to turn the card over. They came out with food that I appreciated, even if other people didn't. Um, and so I ate lots and lots. Of See, food. I saw a chef one time talking about well-doneers, people like you. So they're great. You give them your mistakes, your boot leather, the stuff that you uh, would have thrown away, and they thank you for it. <laughs> Which is true. Yeah. And, you know, uh, and it's anyway, I love the texture. Of eating the extremely well done. Well, yeah, it's like bacon. Shoe leather. No. Oh, and the bacon was so good. (laughs) I I I ate a lot. So we used to have a group that would go uh, three or four times a year. Not very often because, A, it's fairly expensive. It's about 50 bucks every time you go. Uh, And, B, you just can't eat like that on a regular basis. But we call it the carnivore night. So all the guys would get together. Uh, There were about five of these places in the Dallas area that we sort of made our rounds to. And uh, our wives would get together, and they were they were the carnivore widows. Uh, they would get together and and, ha- and do go out that night as well. Um, and so it was it was great because you eat yourself into a meat coma, you know. And and you got to all go if possible in one vehicle, you know, uh, somebody with a van or something, because you got to get all the guys together. And then usually just after our gluttonous feast, we'd find an ice cream shop like a like a, a, a marble slab or something like that or a Cold Stone Creamery, and then we'd go have some ice cream. And we learned the secret, papaya enzyme. It's a, shh, it's a secret. Papaya enzyme helps break down meat protein. So you can go to any health food store and get uh, like a bottle, a, a vitamin bottle full of papaya enzyme that you just chew like a chewable vitamin. And so, Before, during, and right. after. So you start so. out with some to like preload. And then when you start feeling a little full, you pop some more and it really works. It breaks down the meat and you can eat more. So then you eat some more. And so we would, it would somebody would be uh, uh, tasked each time with buying, bringing the papaya enzyme. And so we'd break it around and just pass it around the table. Everybody pop two or three and then go back and get some more. And so it's awesome. So I encourage you, wherever you are in the world, to have a carnivore night with your buddies because there's no better male bonding than that. Yeah, That's and awesome. uh, I did some work on somebody's computer, and they said, I'll, we'll take you out there. And so I was like, that works for me. So, uh, you know, it's probably about what I would have charged. And-, <laughs> and most of the time, most of these places have really thick-cut, super crispy bacon. There's a salad bar. Don't be suckered in by the salad bar. There's a salad bar with all kinds of with awesome cheeses and stuff on it, and they really want you to fill up on that so you don't have the meat. But they always have super crispy bacon. So uh, mm-hmm. typically what I would do is I would, I would eat the meat many, many times. And then for my dessert, I would go get a plate full of bacon. And that was my dessert. It was awesome. <laughs> yeah. No, see, I go through the salad bar and I get a couple of pieces of lettuce, uh, a few little things of cheese, and about half a plate of bacon. Uh, you know, I ate the lettuce <laughs> first, so I, I, I trick my stomach into Some always going to be one of those yeah. kind of meals. And then I throw in the meat, and it's like, yes! Uh <laughs> <laughs> and I had I did not eat any of the plantains until the very end. And when you haven't had any all night, they're sweet enough, and it's like a dessert. Yeah. So good stuff. Good awesome. Stuff. I'll have to find some place around here like that, but uh, it's going to be a far reach for it, I'm sure. Yeah. So the one, I think the first one ever in the United States is called Fogo de Chao, and it's in uh, Addison, Texas. And Fogo de Chao is is uh, uh, Argentinian, whatever language they speak there. It's not Spanish. It's something else. But anyway, it means fire in the floor. So there's this big fire pit. You walk in, there's a fire pit with swords 
stuck in it. And that's literally how they cook your meat over this giant fire pit on swords. And um, it's great. Awesome. Yes. <laughs> so <laughs> I have a new thing to go find when I go down to Texas. Uh, and they're they're they may be all over the country. They may not be. I haven't I haven't found one here in Georgia. I've been I've been looking. I've been hoping that someday I can find one here and and a group of guys to go with. Because you can't you never take a date there. Don't take your wife and kids there because it's just, it's just a waste of money. They're gonna have like three ounces of of bottom sirloin, the cheapest stuff on the menu, and say I'm so full. I'm ready to go. No, no, you got to go with guys. There you go. Or a girl that eats like a guy. Yeah, well, if you can find one of those, merrier. I know a couple. <laughs> okay, so um, now let's talk about some tech stuff. Um, sure. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about uh, Linux for kids, and you said you were yep. working on a, a customized spin of Edubuntu, Chris, that you were going to use at yep. your school. Tell us about that. Yeah, I sent it off to my daughter's preschool. Um, and I gave him a quick runaround, and the the leader of the of the group said, "Well, yeah, we'll we'll put the kids on it, and we'll see how well they like it. And if we like it, we'll ask for another one." And so, in la di da. So I haven't talked to her for about three weeks since then, just because I I was making sure that I wouldn't pollute the waters, so to speak. And so then I I asked a friend of mine who works there. I go, "So how how's that computer working down there? Is, is there people using it? Is it being?" Is it being utilized? And she goes, the kids can't get enough of it. We had to actually put a timer on the thing to stop them from fighting over all the games. And not just the pre-K kids, even the kindergartner, I think they go up to second grade, second or third grade. They, uh, they, they've had to put a timer on that, that particular machine so that way the kids won't fight over it. So I would say it's a screaming success. That's awesome. So yeah. are you planning on rolling out more of them? Yeah, I've, I've got Well, they asked for a Windows machine just because they have a bunch of those little pre-K um, games for Windows. So, But they want, another, they want another one of those Linux ones with the Edubuntu on it so they can have two of those running and then the one with Windows for when they don't – for the particular games because they, they, they like to point kids if they're having a problem in math to these these math games that they've been told to run. So it's one of those things that'll be nice to have for you know, two, three computers. I'm, I'm hoping for three to get over there, and then we'll see how it goes from there. Yeah, Windows does yeah, have its I, place, <laughs> and it's it's better to have a dedicated old Windows machine than try to mess with wine in terms of just you yeah. know, ease of use. Yeah. Well, and it's just simpler that way, especially since they're not going online, so they don't need antivirus, they don't need anything that would slow it down. It, it's just going to be a nice, simple box that sits and purrs in the corner. So, as far as I know, they're looking forward to it. Cool. And um, I'm not sure that we talked about this last week, Chris, we might have, but you have new bandwidth at your house that is, yep. is not as awesome as you'd hoped. Well, it is. Um, I like having the seven down and almost one up. It, it's really nice to have that. But I had to give up my um, PFSense box because they don't. At the when I installed the modem, the it's a, one of those modem router combined boxes. And you know, it just when you're used to having a giant machine doing your bandwidth, 
shaping and everything else, dropping down to one of these little modem router Linksys looking things. It's just a, uh, it just can't handle it. Why can't you put your Boris box in front of that? You mean behind it then? Well, yeah, from your network's point of view, however you want to look at it, between yeah. your network and, and the internet. Well, that's where I'm going to end up doing it. If I can't put the thing into bridge mode, that that's what I'm waiting on. Is I'm waiting on a couple of days that I can sit in front of that the config menus and see if I can find a bridge mode so I can just use my Boris box instead of using their software. Um, I don't know yet. I haven't really spent a whole lot of time digging through it. I've been just jammed up with everything else. But uh, it's one of those things that I, you know, I'm so used to my old cable modem where I never had to reboot it either, and I've already had to reboot this DSL line twice. So I'm hoping that it was just a, you know, first week setup glitches. I'm hoping that's what it was because I really don't want to have to reboot this thing all the time. Well, they say the first, like, two weeks at least used to be of DSL. It's kind of like learning its routes and all that kind of stuff, and after about two weeks is when it kind of levels off and starts acting right, at least previous generations of DSL. Yeah. I don't know. But seven down and almost one up is really nice. It's really... Well, you guys see a difference right now on the show with the fact that I, I'm not stuck in 512 up. I'm actually about twice... Almost, what, 768 or something like that yeah. going up. So that's halfway between. That's a 50% gain. Yeah. I'm having issues with my Xfinity... From Comcast, and I think that's why we just had that dropout just now. It uh, periodically is just wonky, and, and and I took the lazy way out. They sent me um, the bo- a modem in the box that's a, a wireless access point and a firewall and a modem all in one, and that's what I'm using. You know, back in before I moved, I had my Boris box set up. I had uh, my own uh, router set up. I had my own uh, Wi-Fi set up, and this time I just went lazy. I just plugged in their box, and I I don't like it. I'm going to go back to doing it the geek way, uh, it, just as soon as I get one of those round to it. Yeah, me too. We'll see how well. Uh, see, it's I I'm I've moved to CenturyLink. Is if anyone knows uh, who they, they are, they were but, my provider. Yeah, I hated them back in Texas. Yeah, but it's either that or my super expensive cable guy in town. Um, I'm paying. It's probably like 30% less for my internet, phone, and cable with 150% more services. So, Yeah, see, when I had CenturyLink, I was paying for four synchronous and getting, mm-hmm. oh, 56K on a good day. <laughs> it wow. was It was dial-up quality that I was paying DSL prices for. Uh, so, yeah, that, that didn't last long. Yeah, if, I, if that ever happened to me, I'd start, I'd jump off again. But. Yeah. So far, they've been rock solid. I think the the slowest I've been is six and a half for the down speed, and the uh, up speed has been no. It's been no lower than five twelve up. So, and it bounces around just for that. So, all right. Well, there's a <laughs> there's all of that. Seth, what's an NSV? NSV stands for non scale victory, and. Uh, <laughs> No, I uh, I went to uh, go eat yesterday afternoon for my like one trip out of the house, and I grabbed a shirt and I put it on. I thought, man, this shirt is awful tight. And uh, when I got back home, you know, I took it off and looked at it. And I realized it was a double XL shirt, which uh, 
it's still, and it was tight on me, but, you know, because the 3Xs I wear all the time now, they're pretty loose. Um, but it's not as tight as these 3Xs used to be before I started losing weight. So it's nice to know that I'm back to a point where I can wear my 2Xs. And if I lose a little bit more weight, then they'll look okay on me. So I was, a, uh, I was quite proud of myself because, uh, it's always, you know, that opens up a whole new section of wardrobe for me. <laughs> yeah. Not only shirts, but my pants are looking awful worn. Uh, and I've got some that I, I'm going to have to resell buttons on because you, you remember that subway commercial where they sit down, the button shoots off. Yes. That, that happened to me many, many times. Uh, and so I have maybe half a dozen pair of pants that have no button on them. Um, and so now I'll be able to sew buttons on them and wear them. Um, Yay me. Uh. <laughs> there you go. Well, you know, when you're losing weight, you got to look for any victory there is because it's a whole lot of not doing what you want to do. And so you got to look for any time that there's a there's some some uh, payoff for it. Yeah, because, you know, even whenever your weight doesn't go down on the scale, even if you don't exercise a whole lot, just a simple fact you're eating better or less badly and not as much of it, your body shape changes a little bit. And so your weight might not be changing, but your body's changing a little bit if you're not losing weight as long as you stick to it. So, so that's our, uh, that's my, every, uh, one meal, one workout tie in. Yeah. So tune week. in on Wednesdays for one meal, one workout where three fat guys have these conversations all the time about, uh, hoping to not be fat anymore uh, or to yes. be less fat I, actually i think that's we'd all just be happy with being less fat yeah i i know that's uh yeah my goal would my goal weight most people would consider fat right but if if i reached it i would be quite happy and content to spend the rest of my life right in that range and people would probably call me fat um still yeah what was that uh, commercial that Peyton Manning did a few years ago? Was, hey, you bummed about not having a six-pack. Unless you're 18 years old or an NFL quarterback, it's probably not going to happen. So at some point, you just sort of make t- uh, 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 come to terms with the fact that you're never going to have the body you didn't have when you were 16. When you're 16, you had a shot at it. When you're 40, right. you don't even have a shot at it anymore. Yep. <laughs> um, big news for some people. The Walking Dead returns tonight. We only mention that because yes. geeks tend to be into zombies. And so, uh, yes. however, I am a Dish Network customer, and I will As not I. be seeing The Walking Dead tonight. Oh, I feel sorry I, for you guys. When I'm watching it, I'll make sure I, I, I pour a little out of my soda just for you. <laughs> <laughs> now, I think we can, uh, if I remember correctly, AMC is going to be putting it on their website for you know for free. Or at least the first couple of episodes. Right. Um, so we can still watch it if we want to, but I, I don't know. I've never seen an episode. I don't, I'm not into zombies. I have zero interest in it. I mean, I would honestly rather watch The View with Barbara Walters than watch a zombie show. I have just no interest in it. Wow. <laughs> That's pretty bad. You know, and I'm, I'm a zombie guy. I like watching this particular one. But this, uh, The Walking Dead is more... The zombies could be replaced with, you know, carnivorous dinosaurs or, you know, a, a pack of lions or something. But uh, it's 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 the the development of the of the characters that really pull me in. 
Well, it's the, the killing off of the characters. I mean, <laughs> eventually too. there's not going to be any characters left. So Well, uh, they just, you know, for those who haven't seen the the last season and, and missed the last one, I'll give you a little bit of a spoiler. But one of the, I won't say who, but one of the characters did die. And it was kind of one of those, oh, my God, how can they do that already? Well, is Josh Whedon involved with this? Because he's fond of killing off characters. Is 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 that's not, that's a very Joss Whedon thing to do. I'm not sure. I, I don't think he I, is. Um, I don't think so. It's following the comic because this The Walking Dead is a comic. So is it a comic comics, or is it a graphic you know, novel? Uh, I would have to say it's a graphic novel if I were to be taken to task on it. And I honestly it don't know the series. difference between the two. No, it was a it was an independent comic. A graphic novel is kind of a one shot deal in a comic style, but this was an ongoing serial adventure. So I would call that <laughs> okay. a comic. I love how pedantic we can get about that. It was an ongoing serial adventure. That's awesome. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, that's my definition of the difference between a comic and a graphic novel. Um, so I'm sure other people, you know, will get. You can direct those. Uh, to uh what is our email <laughs> it's edl wow at elementop.com yeah. you know there are just times when i picture you know a 17 year old pimply faced kid seething suit through his retainer at some of the stuff we say it's not a it's not a comic it's a graphic novel it's you guys don't know what you're talking about and we're like what <laughs> Well, actually, you got to push your glasses up on your on your nose when you say the word actually. Hey, hey, wait a minute now. I'm a glasses wearer. That's not a fair stereotype. No, but it's yes, it, it is. is. <laughs> not all gear is. Uh, not all glasses wearers are stereo are geeks. Some of them are hipsters. It, you know, it goes both ways. Oh, so I'm either uh, uh, the the comic book geek. Yeah. <laughs> Or or a hipsters. So since I've been wearing glasses for like you know eighteen years, yeah. which one am I? I once saw <laughs> just recently, not once, but like last week, uh, I saw a guy walking around my office, twenty three at the oldest, probably a little younger, wearing glasses frames with no lenses. Now that's what? a hipster right there. That's wow. Cool. Yeah, he just wanted he just wanted the look in the face. Yeah. <laughs> that is sad. Very sad on so many levels. And to talk something even remotely Linux-related, Amarok, some people's favorite media player, is now 10 years old. Yes, I came across this story, and since this is um, this is me drinking the Kool-Aid in Linux, this is what I use for like my podcatcher, um, and I have my little uh, NL1 netbook original thing that I love to death. This is my MP3 player because I plug it into my car and I listen uh, to my podcast doing <laughs> <awesome>. from work. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it's not much Whatever bigger than works, an MP3. Man. So, uh, but yeah. And then I saw, hey, this this is 10 years old. So, uh, you know, that would go great on the Everyday Linux podcast. So I threw it in there and wanted to tell everybody. Yeah, two th- yeah MROC's one of my favorite, my favorite uh, Linux players. Uh, I remember back back when it was in the ver- uh, one version, you know, version 1.0, and having to fight with the, uh, the the databasing program that it uses for, you know, keeping track of playlists and uh, how many stars you gave files in play counts, because I, I the media library I was pointing it at it was too big. 
And so wow. it would freak out and not and start losing things on me. So I'd actually change it from its built-in database to a MySQL database and doing all the little pins to do that. Cool. As Seth, you held up your held up your netbook there. I had the the first netbook, the Asus E triple E or triple E PC, the one right. with the four gig flash drive, little yeah. white guy, the the proto laptop, um, <laughs> the bulletproof, yeah. And that thing was, I, I'd been letting elementary kids at the school where I used to work use it, and they beat the living snot out of that thing. And other than the battery being toast, it still worked. I mean, it would, right. it would last roughly a second and a half after you pl- unplugged it on battery. But if you plugged it in, it still worked. And that was, a, I think, a 900 megahertz processor. And uh, it ran in uh, that special version of, of what was it? Z- uh, Zandros Linux, I think it was. Yeah. Um, yeah, they called like it something, though. I don't remember what they called it. And it's since become a distro. I don't know if it's still active, but... Um, you know, and here's the thing. I bought this like four years ago, and I can still get six hours out of the battery. It's an awesome machine. Yeah. Uh, I, I love it. So I was a big fan of netbooks when they were alive and still roaming the earth. Right. Uh, then what happened is laptops got so cheap that nobody bought a netbook anymore because you could get a laptop for the same price. Right. Uh, yep. Or a tablet. Right. Yeah, now everything's no, no, about tablets. Yeah. Well, even the tablets are are getting to the point that they're so cheap that, you know, the the Nexus Nine or whatever it is for two hundred bucks, you know, yeah. really, that that's going to kill off any netbook. Now we've uh, avoided the rumor. It's actually been in the notes a couple of times, and I haven't talked about it. But there is a there's a a a, um, a persistent rumor on the internet that Google is going to make its new Nexus Seven tablet available uh, for ninety nine dollars around the holidays uh but there's never there's never i haven't seen anything official on it it's just bounce it's the same article bouncing from one one rumor rumor website to another Uh, yeah but you know when mac comes out with their ipod mini or ipad mini which i don't know why they just don't call it the iTouch, (laughs) but uh but i'm sure whenever they do that that google is going to lower I'm sure because they run everything through me. Yeah. Uh, that, <laughs> I was talking with Larry and Sergey just the other day. Yeah, uh, and then I woke up. But no, uh, I, I, you know, the, I, it would not surprise me if they dropped their price or something to kind of steal some of Apple's thunder, keep themselves relevant, whatever, however you want to say it. Um, you know, because if they were making, if they were breaking even when it came out, you got to figure that those that generation of components is now cheaper, and so they could right. produce the thing for cheaper. Um, and now that they've seeded their ecosystem enough, if they can get the buy-in on Google Play, um, you know, and kind of sell the tablet as a lost leader, knowing that they'll get more on the software licensing end, then uh, I'm sure if they think it'll make money in the long run, they'll do it. If they drop the Nexus Seven tablet to ninety nine bucks, three of them will be under my Christmas tree. Uh, my right, yeah, one for each kid. Actually, maybe four. Maybe one for my wife too. And I can get I could get all four of them a Nexus Seven for less than the cost of one iPad. Yep, I'll be there too. Right with you. I'll have four of my I'll have four under my tree. Yeah, because that I way will I somehow, can actually have one to myself finally. <laughs> I will find some way to buy one if the price drops to a hundred. So rather than just wish at it at two hundred. You hear that, Google? Come on, send us some love. Yeah, you can yeah. be, or, you, or at least sponsor us. One of the two. 
Yeah. So if if you're losing a hundred dollars every time you sell one, uh, we'll make you lose eight hundred dollars between us. So I'm sure that's <laughs> compelling. Um, uh, at uh, I'm sure they well, want to do that. My brain. Well, just we could rename off. this the Everyday Nexus. I, you know, I wouldn't bother me at all. No. <laughs> I could be, you know, Google or Topeka change their name to to Google for a day. For yeah. one week, we could be uh, Everyday Nexus Seven for a week. Every Everyday Google. We, yeah, we ain't free, but we're pretty darn cheap. <laughs> so I have principles, yeah. and they can be purchased. So speaking of ninety nine dollars, a uh, I believe it's a French company um, has come up with a ninety nine dollars supercomputer running a tiny little system on a chip, uh, PC chips, and Ubuntu. Wow. Yeah, this is um, this story is actually a couple of weeks old now, but yeah, um, Adaptiva, and there it's like a multi-core, multi-microprocessor thing. It you can buy basically kind of like a board and just pop in additional slots and build your own supercomputer. Um, they have a Kickstarter project page up if you want to uh, do that, and uh, I, I thought it was kind of cool. You know, now you don't need. You know, you're not going to get up to Watson uh, speed or anything like that, but you can do your very own supercomputing now. Things that you used to need, like government institutions or Fortune 500 or 100 companies, now, you know, a kid can save up his allowance and have a supercomputer running in the basement in less than a summer. So uh, yeah, it's still they're still working on it. They're trying to get the funds to to you know to make this scale. Um, you have to buy a lot of them. You buy a lot of them, you can get them cheap enough. So that's right. what they're working yeah. on right now. But they're looking at a uh, a, a dual core ARM nine CPU, uh, an A nine CPU, which is uh, which is the same thing that's in the iPad, I think, in the new iPad. Uh, well, I think Apple built theirs based on the A nine, um, but it's got a multi core um, video card as well. It's got two USB slots. It's got a gig of RAM, uh, and they're 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 saying that they can chain these things together uh in large enough numbers to make a supercomputer based on arm chipsets so it's a yeah, it's, it's a neat cool. idea well i mean you know and if with the difference between two of them chained together in 2000 it's just a thing of skill but you can design your own supercomputer you know and just make it more powerful as you go along I thought it was a really interesting thing to do. And, you know, this would be a great way, like, instead of having, like, one supercomputer in a lab for an entire school district, you could have one of these things in every class and teach your kids uh, if you were going to go into programming and how that can go up through scale. Um, you know, a hundred bucks. You can you can have one in each room in your class and, uh, and to teach processing of scale and all that kind of thing. So, very interesting. I would love to. I would love to jump in and fund this on Kickstarter. So if somebody wants to give me some money so I can fund <laughs> something on Kickstarter, th this is what your money will go to. I uh, I played a little bit with the the multi uh, core uh, parallel processing Linux thing. I'm trying to remember the name of something like Beowulf, right? Beowulf cluster. That's it, isn't yep. it? Um, yeah, it sounds familiar. Yeah, I experimented with that just a little bit. Beowulf is essentially a an OS that runs across um, your typical um, x86 chipset, 
and you can just chain an arbitrary number of them together to make your Beowulf cluster. Um, and I, I you know, I piddled with it just a little bit, and all I could get it to do was crash really well. But it did it fast. <laughs> it crashed fast. Um, but I've heard people have some fairly significant success with Beowulf clusters just taking, um, like, you know, old uh, Pentiums that, that aren't useful for much and, and throwing 50 of them together in a cluster and, and getting a, a you know, supercomputer is a, perhaps a, a bit uh, generous a word, but a, a high-powered multiprocessor uh, cluster. Well, I mean, you know, Grant, I mean, you can take, it is a supercomputer. It's just not much of a supercomputer by today's standards. Because if you go back a couple of generations of a supercomputer, you know, between all the computers we have running on this show, we have 10 times the processing power right. they did. So. Right. You know, it's still, and when you're teaching the concept, you don't need the latest and greatest to teach the concept. You know, uh, it's not like we stole some drives from Los Alamos and are trying to build an OS to hackle. You know, <laughs> we're just trying to, uh, we're just trying to train people of this is how it works and this is what it looks like and this is what you can do with it. So, and for any Fed types that might be listening, that was Seth. Anderson, S E T H A N D E R S O N. I said we weren't doing it. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> um, and I think I said that was a French. I said I think that was a French company. Uh, but here's the next story about France. France, the official government line from France, um, is now use open source, which is right. Cool. It. It's not so much these are the open source products that we are pushing. It's like, hey, we don't have any money. We're broke just like the rest of the world. Look at the open source stuff because we don't have to pay licensing free fees. So um, it's kind of like it, it's not so much has a charge in open source, but it kind of I look at their announcement as kind of removing a roadblock to the adoption of open source. Which is yeah. cool because, you know, I, I listened to the show last week and Dora was saying that there's more openness in government institutions, which it's true. There is more openness, but there's still a lot of, but we need to pay a licensing fee. Uh, and, you know, if, if it's free, it's free for a reason because it's not any good. So um, stories like this help to tear down that notion and show that, you know, that's not really the case. So. And that it's often difficult to get open source into governments because they want that all important eight hundred support number. Right. Uh, and I think it was the the city government of Munich, Germany. Somebody out there, some some retainer wearing uh, teenager will will correct me if I'm wrong on this. Uh, but a few years ago, Munich moved all of their systems to uh, Linux and Open Office. Um, Citywide, yeah. and and Munich it's, is no small city, uh, right? And they they did it, and they had like a couple of years to look at it, and their um, sort of overall impression after they'd looked at it for a while and and had some experience with it was it's a wash. You gain some things, you lose some things uh, in terms of the everyday functionality. It's a wash, but it did save the city lots and lots of money potentially. Right. Yeah, we actually um, we covered, we covered that. it. Yeah, uh, it's been many months ago, but we looked at that um, where they were reviewing what the project had done for them. So, 
I don't remember the episode, but it's in our history if you want to uh, look through that. You know, it'd be cool to actually have somebody from there on to tell us what it's like now. You know, are they still the open source city, or are they did they go back to the closed source evil dictator government type idea? Well, it's, uh, it would be cool. That one of the things that I remember them talking about was they had to do a lot of uh, um, training. Yeah, training and and remediation of Microsoft specific documents, their spreadsheets and their their things that had heavy macros. They had to spend a lot of time transitioning those over. So it, it wouldn't. I don't think it would be very likely that they're going to go through all that again to take all the changes they've made since then and put them back into a Microsoft format. But governments do but, crazy things. Well, but you know, here's the thing. It's like when you went from Office 2003 to Office 2007 and all the changes that Microsoft did, companies had to go through huge remediation projects. Uh, the company I work for, we're still in the middle of remediation of like almost half of the programs we use, making sure they work in Windows 7 that were in XP. So it's not like you can't say, oh, well, if you just would have stuck with Windows, you wouldn't have had all those costs. Now, you could argue that the cost wouldn't be as much, but when you change versions of Windows from like XP, 2000 XP to Vista 7, it is such a massive change. It's almost the equivalent of changing the whole operating culture. So, you know, it's not a fair comparison to say that those costs aren't there if you stay with one OS, but, you know, you could make a case that maybe they aren't as great. So. Yeah, I like to point out that uh, Microsoft Publisher can't open Microsoft Publisher documents from any other version of Microsoft Publisher. You got what you got. Isn't that, isn't that weird? Yeah. It just totally floors me that that happens like that. Um, and uh, interesting, I, we, we, had, we don't have an article about it, but it's, it's a new sort of thing in Google. Um, Google has stopped offering the option to save documents as Word formats. The uh, the old Word ninety seven the dot do dot doc and now everything is dot you can export it as dot docx uh, which I think is it's premature I mean there's still lots and lots and lots of systems out there using that legacy format because they have to go back and forth between them so you know if if ninety percent of your computers are on one but ten percent are the other we all tend to go uh, to the the lowest common denominator. So I thought that was right. a, a pretty um, almost un-Google-like move. They usually aren't known for taking away options. Yeah, I uh, wow. I actually heard about this story on the radio. Um, I don't remember what radio station, but it wasn't a tech. I was like listening to, I think it was like a country music station and their morning talk show. They were actually talking about this. And I was like, why would Google do that? You know, from the company whose model used to be do no evil, it seems to be how stupid can we become? <laughs> uh, I don't know if that's their official motto or just one they're going with now, but they, you know, in a lot of ways, Google is almost turning into the Microsoft that more and more people are starting to hate. And there's a lot of love for Microsoft breaking out in the tech industry. It's almost like they've switched places, um, which is just kind of weird. But uh, the regenesis of Microsoft and the vilification of Google, you know, a couple of years ago, you would have not thought possible. But. Uh, anybody who can use regenesis and vilification in the same sentence gets an official triple word score. That was awesome. <laughs> Man, I'm making up triple for last Triple word week. score. 
And a cookie. <laughs> and a cookie. You still haven't eaten that cookie? Your wife brought you that cookie 20 minutes ago, 50 minutes ago. I know, but we've been on the air since then, wow. so I haven't had a chance to eat it. It's just sitting there waiting for my for me to go out and have a cup of milk now to dunk it, because now it's a dunking cookie instead of an eating cookie. There's no way I could sit and watch a warm cookie get cold. That's just Chris, wrong. Yeah, you mute your microphone and you eat it. <laughs> it takes about five seconds. Oh, I have willpower, though. I have really good willpower. At least that's what I say whenever I say I quit smoking. So, <laughs> My brother was is probably still a smoker. I don't know. But yeah, we talked about the one time. I said, you ever tried quitting? He said, oh, yeah, I've quit several times. No, that's not how it works. You only quit once. You paused <laughs> several times. Uh, I've been quit now since my daughter's birthday when she was born. That was my quick day. Oh, nice. So every day I wake up and I have a reminder running around, kicking me in the shins to quit or to stay quit cool cool so uh i'm gonna move on i'm gonna skip over some of this because believe it or not we're already running a little long um there was much wailing and gnashing of teeth over uefi and how microsoft was trying to keep linux off of their new windows machines well the linux foundation says we can fix that not a problem so essentially what they're going to do is they're going to buy uh a, a key from microsoft which as I understand it, is pretty simple to do and not very expensive. And they're going to make it publicly available that will, uh, they're going to run like a sort of pre-OS that will load your OS. It's like a bootloader before your bootloader. Did I describe that effectively? Yeah, um, yeah. pretty much. <laughs> yeah, no other comments on that? Okay, moving no, on. It's, no, uh, it's chain loading is what it is. Yeah. So it's... Yeah. Uh, I think you did a remarkable job of putting it down into everyday speak that this show tries to strives to do on a regular basis. So how's that for commentary? Now, Microsoft has not flipped any sort of kill switch. There is no at this point um, official thing that would keep you from putting Linux on your machine. It doesn't exist. There, there's fear that it might, and so the Linux Foundation says, "Okay, we'll just take that fear off the table." And so they've created this spec. I don't know if it actually exists yet, but it's a, it's a spec that they've created. This is what we're going to do uh, when UFEI, UEFI becomes a big deal. So stop whining about it and just move on with your lives. That's my paraphrase. Yeah, they don't have the key yet. I don't know if um, where they are in the process, but the stories that I've read says this is what we're doing but they haven't achieved the end result yet they still have not received the key from microsoft so whether they've just announced it or they're waiting to get it from microsoft or they're waiting to publish their whole thing it, it's not yet available it's just the uh what it's going to be like when it's available announcement now let me put my conspiracy theorist suspenders on for a moment and say here's what i think this is i think this is teeing up a lawsuit they have publicly said that they're setting out to defeat any um, anti-countermeasures that Microsoft might put on their machines. So if Microsoft refuses to give them a key, they will sue and, and try to get uh, an injunction that says Microsoft can't do the keys for anyone. So that, that's way, the way I see it. I think they, that they're, it's a preemptive strike to say, here's what we're going to do. And they're very publicly saying, we're doing this specifically to... Uh, countermand your efforts to keep Linux off of Windows 7 tablets. Uh, so if you choose to do that, here's what's going to happen. Now we're following all the rules that you've laid out. You either give us the key 
and make this possible or suffer the consequences. That's yeah, the way I, I read it. So I, I would agree. I, I would at least that's how I read it too. I would say that's the white glove on the battlefield, so to speak. Um, you know, good on them. I mean, I'm, I'm glad to hear that the the Linux Foundation is taking a, a big old stand and drawing the line in the dirt, saying, uh, "You think so, Microsoft? Well, here you go." Okay. Yeah. Um, I I have nothing to add. <laughs> Oops. I hate it when I hit superscript instead of strike through, and then all the text gets really, really tiny. Um, and uh, Microsoft is returning to its roots. I don't know what that means, but it sounds interesting. So, ready to go. Um, well, you know, one of the first products that Microsoft released was Office for the Mac OS. And um, they have confirmed that in the spring of next year, Microsoft plans to release Office for both Android and iOS. Um, so, you know, no third party, this is how you can get Office functionality, but Microsoft is going to do a, an Office app for Android and an Office app for iOS. So uh, they're actually acting like a software company and releasing software uh, in other ecosystems, which is like I say, if I remember correctly, the first product Microsoft offered, Microsoft offered was Office for the Mac OS. Um, and so, hence, they're returning to their roots by offering software products for other people's platforms. Now, my take on this, my understanding of this is this is still in rumor format. It's not an officially announced press release from Microsoft. No, Microsoft Project Manager Peter Bobek has confirmed. So... Um, He's, he is a Microsoft project manager, and he's confirming that they're well, planning to release it. Well, he's so, a he's he's a, a project manager of a, an office, a, a subsidiary in the Czech Republic. Microsoft immediately came after The Verge published this article and said what he said isn't true. They didn't, they didn't specify what about it wasn't true, but they said the, the press release as released is not true. So... There's a sort where, of a where did you see denial. that? Because I did not, I did not see that. I went looking for because I thought this was, but I, I never saw that. So, it's on the Verge article. It says that shortly after, just underneath it, the one that the article that you linked to, Seth. If you huh? go to the actual Verge article, yeah, it's that's it's, where it, it's what would be in the show notes, right at the very bottom. There's a little gray thing. It says update. Microsoft releases the following statement on the matter. Quote, the information shared by our Czech subsidiary is not accurate. We do not have anything further to share at this time. Ah, see, the update <laughs> wasn't there when I first came across the story. Yeah. So there see, you go. What, uh, what, I wonder, what I'm wondering is, though, is this just going to be a push for Office 365 in there? That's that's their official version of my, of Office for these devices. That yeah, I know Microsoft is kind of pushing to the annual subscription revenue stream versus buy a single product. So, you know, maybe it's going to be an Office 365 app, um, but uh, I don't know. Uh, anyway, cool. Uh, did, yeah, this the update wasn't there when I found the story. So, Did you guys ever try Office 365 when, it, when they had the tester beta thing available? The only, I tried one uh, time, and I tried to open a document somebody else had opened, and it said, sorry, this document is locked for editing. And I thought, well, what the crap? And I went back to Google Docs. Yep. If you can't simultaneously edit a document, why put it on the web? 
there you go. That's. I was just wondering if you guys ran into the same problem I did when I tested it. Um, I just thought it was quite a funny thing when I loaded that up and was told, you can't edit this because so-and-so is editing. I went, well, I can in Google. Yeah. Next! <laughs> why would I <laughs> Why would I even stay here? See ya, and off I went. Yeah, don't call it a multi-user thing when multiple people can't use it. Um, you know, and of course, if you listen to them, they tout all the features you get in Office 365 that you don't get in Google Docs. And there are some really impressive things you can do through there, but you can't do them together. Um, and Google Docs for online real-time collaboration is better for I would say 90 to 95 percent of uh, situations. There are some situations where it, it doesn't do everything you need it to do, but for the most part, it is more than capable. Um, that's my professional opinion for what it's worth. Well, what bothers me is that they use the word collaboration, and collaboration to me means multiple people working at the same time. This, this, they could call it sharing. And I'd be okay with that. Uh, th I could even get by with multiple users because it is. But this is all, everything I don't like about Microsoft on the desktop moved up to the cloud. So yeah. thank you, Microsoft. And, and Microsoft would respond with, you'll keep using that word. I do not <laughs> think it means what you think it means. Sorry, I uh, I had to go Princess Bride for a second. I'm back now. And what I think will be the last story of the night uh, is that um, in an interesting way, Ubuntu has opened up the the uh, the doors for donations. The Shuttleworth Foundation is now uh, letting you give donations on Ubuntu to Ubuntu. Uh, up until this point, it's been uh, wholly funded by the Shuttleworth Foundation. Uh, of course, open source. Lots of people contribute to it. Lots of people work on it. But all the money uh, has come from the Shuttleworth Foundation. And now uh, on the uh, canonical blog. They're saying that uh, they're going to open it up for for the everyday person to contribute. I wonder if they'll get anything. Yeah, you know, I was I'm wondering. Gonna... <laughs> go ahead, Seth. No, you go ahead, Chris. I'll let you go first. All right. I was going to say, you know, I have a feeling that they're not going to get a dime for most people. Um, the, the most, the, most of the average Linux heads are going to see this as, oh, you want more money to ruin Linux some more? Okay, then saying, yeah, fine. Uh, I'm, I'm still behind the doors of I hate what they've done with Unity. Uh, I think it's a joke, but I know some people are really liking it and digging on it a lot. But I honestly think that the geeks of the world aren't going to tip or donate to this system. It's going to be the people that, you know that are going to donate are going to be the more the, uh, what was I going to say? The, the casual users are going to donate, not the heavy geek people. Yeah, so basically the way it works is you, you can't necessarily go to their website to do it, but during the install process, um, there will be a screen that pops up uh, that will offer a number of options, including make the desktop more amazing, performance optimization for games and apps, improve hardware support for more PCs, uh, phone and tablet versions of Ubuntu, community participations in Ubuntu development, better coordination with Debian and Upstreams, which actually they're required by the license to do anyway, um, better support for flavors like uh, Kubuntu, Xubuntu, and Lubuntu. I don't even know what that is. Um, or a tip to Canonical, they make it happen. 
So you click any one of those links and your donation will go specifically to that team or project. Hmm. Yeah, I, I think I personally don't have a problem with it because, you know, somebody put in the work to make this version of an OS and you know you we can say we don't like unity um, and which I mean I really don't but the people that we gear this podcast towards will find probably unity does most of the things they want and so they are the kind of people who would say you know if I were if I were putting the new version of Windows on here I'm gonna be paying 20 or 30 dollars for an upgrade I'll give them five bucks uh, you know I mean I can't say that I won't do that you know, I I would like to donate, and I do like to donate to some of the um, open source projects that provide benefit and enrichment to my uh, computer using experience. So I don't have a problem with it. I mean, I know they're they're going to get killed by the um, you know the the Linux geek squad that uh, is out to keep Linux pure of all things money um, and to keep Linux away from everybody. So they can still be <laughs> awesome, but I think it's a good move for them as a way to, you know, I don't know, who knows, maybe they'll get a million dollars a month. They probably won't, but they are investing a lot of money into this product, and if somebody likes it and would like to help contribute for that, I don't have a problem with it. Yeah, I don't have a problem with anybody asking for money. Uh, I just think that the vast majority of people who use Ubuntu do so because it doesn't cost anything. Now, yeah. th there's a small percentage that are interested in the freeness, uh, the freedom of it, rather than right. the freeness of it. But I think most people use it because of its freeness, the fact that it, it doesn't cost anything. And so they're going to see that and say, wait a minute, I thought I didn't have to pay anything. And then they'll click next and move on. Yeah. Right. Or and they'll get Mark, large mint. So. <laughs> Mark, the, the Lubuntu, that's the um, LXDE version. Oh, okay. They're just, I'm guessing the V is a typo. Oh, okay. Um, I think that's a good place to stop. We got a good solid hour of yammering and maybe a little bit of accidental news in the process. Uh, but, oh, but before we go. Personal, and our personal opinions and things. <laughs> yeah, our, uh, before I go too much farther, uh, we did have a voicemail from a listener. Uh, that I needed to play, and I forgot to do that. So let me prepare for that and play that right now. Hello, Mark. Hello, Chris. Hello, Seth. This is North uh, Northeast driving by a tractor trailer. Uh, this is a, for a comment on the last Everyday Lex that I was on. Uh, one thing I forgot to mention, SSD drives in Linux. Because of the flexibility of Linux, there's one more thing I heavily suggest. And that is also, okay, besides not putting swap on the SSD to extend the life, I also uh, put in a spinning disk so I have my flash temp and my flash bar going to that spinning disk. And the reason is bar can virtually continuously, nonstop, from the second your computer boots to the second it completely shuts down, it is writing to that bar directory. Those are rights that I do not want aging 
my SSD, nor filling up my SSD. So I have that up onto the side. And temp is temp. Temp is crap files that you don't actually need. It's just used by the OS. So I also put them on my spinning disk. And I can say without hesitation, doubt, inkling, anything, my computer runs screamingly fast because the OS is on the SSD, and that's what is important to me. Um, and I'll throw out there, I put my own partition also on the spinning disk. I want my SSD to be around a while. I want it to last. I want to maximize its life cycle and enjoy the speed on it. Um, uh, that's all I can think of right now about that topic. Uh, all right, guys, uh, thanks for the show. Thanks for keeping it up. Thanks for moving forward, and I will talk to you guys soon. So I think that may be the first time ever somebody has left a voicemail about their own appearance on the show. <laughs> I think you're right, Mark. <laughs> so uh, at least he, uh, he, he at least he followed up on the subject instead of blowing something else out right. of the water on us. In case you couldn't understand that, it was you know a speaker phone, cell phone in a car. Uh, basically, he said that we talked about putting swap on the SSD, and we all sort of universally agreed that was not the uh, best solution uh, in terms of longevity. And he pointed out a couple of other things that the temp directory and the var directory, V-A-R in Linux, are two places where Linux likes to read and write a lot. Uh, so those are places that you should also not put on an SSD if you want to maximize the life of the SSD. So uh, I forgot about those. Personally, I forgot about var. That's one I, I never really think of because I always put a... I'm, I haven't moved the switch to SSD yet. I would have totally not even thought of that. Yeah, var is a... I don't even know what it is. It's a it's a it's a dumping ground. Some places store data there. Some places uh, some apps store uh, temporary data. Some apps store everything there. Some apps put their entire program structure in it. It's just sort of a a, a barren wasteland that anybody can do anything with. And so, depending on the the program, uh, it may be doing a lot of reads and writes. It may be doing writes uh, lots of reads and, and minimal writing. You just never knew. You just never know. But uh, um, in in terms of maximizing the life of the SSD, if that's your goal uh, and performance is secondary, don't put that stuff on the SSD. Just put the, the OS partition and nothing else. Just the home partition. Just slash and nothing else. Yep. H- having said that, if you're more concerned with performance now and you don't care if you eat it up in, in three years instead of six years – um, you know, just be informed about the choice you're going to make. Hey, you know, I had a question after listening to that. If you wanted to be super speed geek, what if you took a USB thumb drive and used that for all of these things you're talking about a spinning disk? Would you get the super fast performance of the thumb drive and, and the SSD? Um, well, actually, we talked about that in the show. Um, doing that uh, adds a, another layer of overhead that it will be faster than a spinning disk, but not as fast as a true SSD, but it'll be much less reliable than either. Right. So don't do it. It's kind of like the weakness of everything. Right. You remember that was my Blade reference. You don't remember that? I don't remember the Blade reference. Oh, how could you? I was watching a football blade? game while I was listening to the show, so <laughs> okay. there you I'm go. sure I didn't catch everything. Um Actually, the blade reference was to hybrid drives. That's what it was. But yeah, uh, putting things on a on a plain old thumb drive, they're just they're designed to be storage devices, not access devices. 
Right. So it's it's just fundamentally not in their design, uh, hardware-wise or software-wise, to do uh, sustained reads and writes. So it's just a bad idea. Well, but see, now, if somebody out there was thinking, aha, I'll do a thumb drive, and I wonder what the guys think about that, I just tried to help out. So. Yeah, I'm pretty sure we there did talk about that, because we talked about ReadyBoost. Remember Microsoft's solution? Yep. Oh, yeah. Um, did. And, did. and ReadyBoost was a dismal failure for all the things, for the reasons I just said. It, it, it boosts your performance by, like, that much, while eating your resources by that much. And if you're not watching... That just did a little bit and a lot of bit. So there you go. <laughs> this much, that much. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Um, so, guys, do we have a nibble. tip of the week this week? How about you, I Chris? Have a tip. I have a tip. Um, I've been, my, my work machine decided to lose itself again, which happens to me quite regularly because I'm so mean to my computers. So I've been, re- I've been having to rebuild this machine remotely while I've been out doing all my other things that I needed to do for my job. So I have been relying heavily this week on screen. Uh, for those that don't remember, I covered this a few weeks or a few months ago, I think. This is a command line tool that keeps your session live even if you lose connection to it. Uh, most of the time when you lose connection to an SSH, um, it drops the connection altogether. Screen keeps it alive and allows it to still keep working. Uh, and you can rejoin the session, or you can be in the session and say, hey, so-and-so, here's the IP address, log in and screen into mine. And so you can share a session, too. Um, I used it for, like, five days straight without even without logging out of, my, of the system at all. And, man, screen is awesome. If you've never used it, make sure it's on your system because you never know when you're going to be gone or remotely into your machine. And if you're on a flaky wireless or a flaky tablet system, this thing will save your butt. So if you're a command line godfather, it's for you. If you're a GUI kid, oh. it's worthless. <laughs> yeah, well, until they come up with a GUI not, to go on top of that. Well, yeah. technically you could. Because remember, screen if you're if you have your remote X Windows session set up where you can ha- bring the, the X the Firefox or whatever browser or whatever window you're running through SSH to the machine you're on, it would hold those preferences still, so you could resume things like that. But so Chris, you said technically, work. so uh, I know, I know. It defeats the whole GUI kidness of uh, <laughs> of the of the GUI. Uh, so, but it's not that hard to forward X Windows, really. It isn't. I'm not saying it is. I'm just saying that that's not gooey enough to get a gooey the kid oh. stamp of approval. So okay, okay, I'll back away. I'll back away, gooey. <laughs> hey, before we go too much farther, I I don't want to let this uh, podcast go without mentioning the skydive from space that uh, oh. uh, Felix Baumgartner did uh, last night. Was it or no today? He landed this morning. This morning. Yeah, this he morning. landed today. Uh, so. Um, it's a guy jumping from a really high place. It's been done before, uh, but I just thought I'd mention it because geeks are into that. It, it, I was not as thoroughly impressed by watching it. 
Uh, I'm sure I would be super impressed being in the suit. I mean, I'd be crapping myself if I was in the suit. But watching it on TV was was ho-hum for me. Right. Yeah. It was ho-hum to watch it, but just the thought of doing it was like, holy crap. And uh, so, yeah, he jumped from uh, the highest... The highest jump ever, but he missed the record for the longest free fall because he pulled the chute too soon. He uh, There were some technical difficulties, and he wasn't sure where he was, and he pulled the suit too soon to, to, to set the record for the highest uh, for the longest free fall. But he was the fastest and the highest uh, at uh, 24 miles above the earth. That's a long free fall. Free fall. Yeah. That's, that's pretty awesome. And he didn't... And breaking the sound barrier. Right. He, he didn't, didn't splash down. <laughs> he didn't land in the ocean. He landed on the ground at a run. So that's that's pretty cool. That's pretty awesome. So anyway, I just wanted I didn't want to let this go. We would lose some geek cred if we let the whole show go without mentioning Mr. Felix Baumgartner. So Seth, what is your uh link of the week? Well, I thought it would be cool to show people a map of the internet. So internet-map.net you can just go and it's it's an attempt to graphically reference the structure of the internet um it, you know or somebody just threw some paint up on a a backdrop and took a picture <laughs> but um i don't know i thought it was kind of cool you can just kind of and if you go there there's um all the different sites of the internet are shown basically by circles and the bigger the site is is kind of how much traffic so you know google is really huge facebook is really huge you look on some of the smaller ones and like blogspot um there's live.com and then you know baidu uh and there's just all these different things and you can just kind of look at them and see um i call bs alamanopi.com cannot be found in the search Clearly, yeah i know there's the, the a problem gooey- yeah, the gooeykid.com could not be found in the search either. So um, I guess we haven't officially arrived yet. But um, yeah. It's so, cool. but you cool know, idea. it's a rough draft. You know, if, if you if you pull out a map of America, you're not going to find the county road I live on. Um, <laughs> so, but you know, if you drill down, <laughs> if you drill down in Google Maps lot big enough, it calls my driveway a county road. So, you know, no mapping system is perfect. Um, but has a first draft, I think it's pretty cool. And has the element OP masses continued to grow, eventually we will show up on here, I am sure. It looks like a Jackson Pollock painting is what it looks like. It's just, you know, splatters of color here and there. I I don't know what their, their pattern was. It's sort of a uh, an odd moray pattern of just colors there. But, um, you know. It's a cool project, I suppose. It'd be interesting to see it grow. There's there's a couple of things sort of stuck way out in the middle of nowhere, and I wonder what yeah. those are. How how did that happen? Are they, is that like like WordPress? WordPress is up is a yeah. light blue one, and it's way up, and there's nothing yeah. else around it. Go.com is like a million miles away from anything else. Well, and plus, if you look, the color codes are like by country. So um, at least that's what they attempt to do. Um, and then uh, I guess. Part of how close they are to the center has to do with maybe how much they tie in to the rest of the world. So if you have a self-contained community, uh, regardless of what country it's in, it's probably going to be kind of out there in the middle of nowhere. Um, yeah. At least, you know, that's that's my thought uh, and my uninformed opinion. You know, we are the Internet, so we don't really need to be informed speaking about <laughs> stuff. 
So that's right. Where opinions can be called fact and nobody can say anything about it. Yes. That's right. And where facts are frequently called opinions. <laughs> right. <laughs> that's. I will say it's a it's a cool picture though. I like it. I always love that. That's like the the favorite immature way to refute an argument. Whatever you say, but you know, gravity pulls things downward. <laughs> In your opinion. Yeah, you've you've all dealt with people like that. Usually, they're under the age of, of fourteen, but sometimes they're not. And, and if they're over the age of fourteen, they say, "I doubt that." Yeah, so, that's uh, their magic refutation of any argument. That's your opinion. I doubt that. <laughs> uh, all right, I'm going to wrap it up. This was a fun show. I don't know that it was entirely educational, but it was certainly a lot of fun. And uh, hopefully next week we won't have to scramble things five minutes before the show starts, and we'll have uh, a full show. But um, guys, thanks for being sure, with me. One person. Yes. Uh, yeah, Chris won't, uh, Chris won't be here. Maybe we'll ask Dor back. He'll be our our regular stand-in. I, I suspect he'll probably do it. And, <laughs> our, rota- and then, our, our rotationer? <laughs> yeah. And then we can make him come up with a topic. I'll say, hey, Dor, go. we want you to be the guest. And by the way, you have to bring all the goods. Right. He will. <laughs> he'll, he'll bring the goods. Yeah, well, then we would, we'd have trouble getting an hour and a half show. It would be like a four-hour show. <laughs> I'm pretty good well, the at art of the, people. I was going to say, the art of podcasting might get a little cranky about that one. Yeah. All right. Thanks for being watch with out, me, watch guys. Out, professor. And thanks for listening. Uh, listeners out there, we appreciate you downloading the show each and every week. Uh, now, this is my commandment to you. Go ye therefore and tell others. Uh, next week, I expect you to force three people to download this. Use Gunpoint if necessary, but uh, go out and make three people download this show. And yeah. and then they will then be forced to go out and make three other people go. Nerf and guns them. and rubber band guns count, so you know they don't have to be like black powder rifles. Yeah, whatever works. And the place you will send them to download this show, in case you don't know, is elementop.com, where you can also find our forums and our contact us button uh, placed prominently at the top of the page. Uh, and also the uh, call us widget or leave us a voicemail widget uh, that door so effectively used uh, to leave us a voicemail for this show. So we encourage your feedback. We encourage your uh, questions, your comments, um, your uh, uh, show titles and topics. So um, please don't be passing the semi when you call us. That's the only thing we ask. (laughs) Well, even then, we don't care too terribly much. Yeah. And there is a there a disproportionate number of the posts on the site are about bacon. Um, I'm only slightly disturbed by that, but it, it is a it is a trend. Uh, uh, maybe if, I wonder if you search for bacon on that internet site, what comes probably like the whole internet comes up under bacon. Uh, so anyway, thanks for being with us, guys. Thanks for listening, and I'm going to say that ends this episode of uh, Everyday Linux. Oh.